0: Hey, I'm Jacob Lewis, and you are listening to Neighbors, a show about what connects us. Today, we are presenting a new pod from WKMS Public Radio in Murray, Kentucky. It's called Middle of Everywhere, about big stories from the small places we call home, hosted by Ariel Lavery and Austin Carter, which you'll hear in a bit. So when I say the word patriot, what do you think of? That Mel Gibson movie? People standing for the national anthem while jets fly over? Do you perhaps think of Christianity, or at least most of those people standing for said national anthem, claim to be Christian? Well, today we hear a story of an extremely patriotic man who happens to be an atheist. And this story starts with a license plate.
1: That's the most famous license plate in the world. (laughs)
2: Okay, Austin, I am so excited for this episode.
3: You're excited about the most famous license plate in the world?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm excited to tell this guy's story, too. Ben Hart, who toughed out a four-years-long battle with the state of Kentucky, which made his plate the most famous license plate in the world.
3: He could definitely win an award for persistence for his beliefs. I'm the knight in shining armor. I don't have much armor, but but, but I'm, uh, I'm,
1: I'm doing what I think is, is the correct and right thing to do.
2: And hint, hint, he actually has won an award from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And I think it's kind of ironic that you use the word beliefs, because in this context, that seems to be a loaded word. Some people might say he has a lack of belief.
3: As an atheist.
2: Yeah, right.
3: So often this country's foundation is tied to religious belief.
2: This country
4: was founded on God. We even have it on our money.
2: Exactly. So I got to thinking about Ben's 82 years living in this country, most of it as an atheist. And you might think that he would question his love of country with most of his fellow countrymen so connected to God and religion. And it seemed that way to me because he's always challenging these overtly religious expressions.
3: You mean like the nativity scenes he's challenged in front of courthouses or on government property?
2: Right. But whenever he saw something like this, he was challenging the legality of it, not whether it was offensive to him.
1: I've been pretty much of an activist in this. Where I see something, I say something.
3: Yeah, he never really expressed being offended by religion, just that he wanted to kind of correct for this expressed connection between church and state.
2: Exactly. And ironically, the long battle he recently won against the state's prejudice against anti-religious speech has helped to free those who want to express more religious views.
3: Huh, that is ironic.
2: So the more I thought about him, the efforts he's made to protect free speech, and how his belief in our founding texts has put him on this journey, I thought, he might be one of the most patriotic people I know.
1: I believe in the First Amendment. That's the most sacred thing that was ever written.
2: In this episode, we'll learn how an atheist who's willing to stand up against Christian favoritism in government ends up illuminating everyone's First Amendment rights. Today, in I'm God...
3: From WKMS and PRX, this is Middle of Everywhere.
2: Big stories from the small places we call home. I'm Ariel Avery.
3: And I'm Austin Carter.
1: I was born in Corbin, Kentucky on August the 8th, 1939. My mother was 15 years old. My father was 19. When I was born, he was in prison.
3: I remember when we first talked to Ben on the phone together uh, that he was born into some kind of difficult circumstances.
2: Yeah, I thought this was pretty significant, and I wondered how his relationship with his dad affected him.
1: He was the black sheep of the family.
3: Yeah, he said his dad wasn't really a part of his life growing up.
1: Uh, My mother and I were homeless. I stayed with uh, uh, different people as I was growing up. I stayed with my grandparents and uh, first and second grade, I was in a boarding school. And then I was in another boarding school in the third or fourth grade up in uh, Cincinnati.
2: These were religious boarding schools. They were old time Methodists. They were
1: really nice people. Our bedroom was on the third floor. Our classroom was down the hall. The church was on the first floor and we went to church every morning, twice on Wednesday, and five times on Sunday. That's a whole lot of church. <laughs> then I went back to live with my mother when I was 10 years old. I had to see this girl in, in class. She was in the same grade, but she was in a different classroom.
2: I think this is where his life really started.
1: When I was in the sixth grade,
3: I told a friend of mine, I says, you know what, I'm gonna marry that girl. He had found his purpose in life, Yvonne. <laughs>
2: Yeah, too bad Yvonne didn't really feel the same way. She didn't know who I was.
5: I thought he was obnoxious and kind of pushy, and I didn't like him at all.
2: But we know how determined Ben can be. He did wait out a four-years-long lawsuit just to get a vanity plate.
1: Sure enough, I made up my mind. Finally, I started going with her when we got to the eighth grade.
3: We got married young.
5: Uh, I was uh, 16 and he was 17.
3: Well, that's that's pretty young to get married.
2: Yeah, but this was the 1950s. Different time, different place. And Ben was still okay with doing things traditionally, like getting married in a church.
5: A church over in Kentucky, a Methodist church.
2: But despite all his early religious influence, this was probably the last time Ben did anything in a church.
1: I was sitting there uh, having breakfast at this place called Camp Washington in Chile, and... I got to thinking about Noah's Ark. They drowned all the babies in the world. And I says, oh my God, I mean, what kind of God is that? And I became an atheist right at that moment.
3: I found it really amazing that Ben came to this huge life decision pretty young.
2: Yeah, even more remarkable was that he became an atheist when only about 2% of the country was not identifying with a religion, according to Gallup.
3: Wow. It really seems that something like this big revelation in Ben's life just stuck with him and even persisted through all of the tragedy he experienced.
2: Yeah, it really does. The amount of loss in Yvonne and his life was just heartbreaking
1: we have uh, we've had four four boys uh, two uh, two are surviving and two are dead the second one uh, was premature and he was three months premature
2: FYI that's skipping the entire third trimester of pregnancy
5: I don't really like to talk about it.
2: This was understandably difficult for them to talk about, even after 60 years.
5: I had been to the doctor the night before, and I told him that there was a problem and that my baby quit moving, and I knew that something was the matter. And he just told me, well, you're just being silly, you're, you know, you you don't know that much about it. And he wasn't very nice about it.
1: You know, he just thought, well, you know, you're just,
5: you know, female talking.
2: From what I know about childbirth, I think this kind of doctor response toward women was more common back then.
5: So when I went home, I think my husband felt like, well, the doctor said nothing was really the matter. And so he gave me two aspirins and told me to go to bed. I took the two aspirins and I threw them up on him, I think. But the next morning, uh,
1: she was having the baby.
5: I just had the baby at home.
1: I delivered the baby. Because he was born outside of the hospital, they had him out in the hall in an uh, incubator.
5: They said he had this lung problem, just like the Kennedy baby.
1: Uh, he had what they called glass lung at that time. He lived about 20 hours, and he passed away.
2: I think losing a new baby might be the most devastating thing someone could live through. I'm not religious, and I've wondered if I might just start praying if anything like this happened to my baby.
3: So often people find themselves turning to God or religion in moments like these, and sometimes that's the only comfort someone can find.
1: I can uh, fully understand religious people turning to that for solace.
2: And without religion, Ben did the best he could.
1: You know, it was it was a terrible thing, but uh, you, uh, you just, you know, tried to think about other things, kind of take your mind off
2: of it. Meanwhile, Yvonne was still trying to find comfort in the church.
5: Yeah, I went to church and prayed for it, and nobody you know, cared about me coming, you know. They thought I had sinned, and that's why it happened.
3: That's a harsh response.
2: Yeah, I think that was partially what ended up pushing Yvonne away from religion instead of turning toward it. But this kind of tragedy was not done with them yet.
1: Our oldest son was uh, 32 and uh, he became ill and he ended up dying of a heart attack.
5: I kept waiting for my son to call me on Saturday because he always called every Saturday. and It took me a long time to realize he wasn't going to call me anymore.
1: It's like somebody, you know, reaches into your chest and rips out your heart. That's that's about the feeling you have.
5: God kind of let me down in a lot of ways.
2: So the loss of her children has really turned Yvonne toward atheism as well.
5: I found myself more and more getting away from it than I do, you know, thinking about going back to it. The more I read and everything, and a lot of things, my husband has shown me chapters in the Bible. The Bible did not like women too well. They wanted women to have children, but they didn't like the women.
2: I was surprised at how indignant Yvonne got when she started talking about the Bible.
5: It's hard to believe that the God would act that way or teach that way. And then he gave, him, gave us his son, who was supposed to teach us better, and what did he teach us? Nothing.
3: <laughs> Scripture became a real pain point for Ben and Yvonne, didn't it? But Ben never condemned religious people for their beliefs.
1: Uh, most of my people that I know are religious, they're good people. If they was not good people, they wouldn't be my friends.
2: Despite Ben and Yvonne's move away from religion and finding less and less reason to continue believing in God, they do seem to have this weird relationship with luck.
1: Our local chili restaurant chain, Skyline Chili, was celebrating their 50th anniversary with a giveaway. And I entered the contest and I was one of the finalists.
3: Well, first off, anybody from Northern Kentucky knows that Skyline Chili is delicious, but this was a huge moment for them.
1: On October the 8th, the 8th is kind of significant.
5: Oh, that's really strange. My husband was born on the 8th, I was born on an 8th, my son Robbie was born on an 8th, my son John was born on the 8th, Michael, Michael was born on the 8th too, the the child that we lost, Ben was the only one, he was born on the 1st, he had to ruin the whole thing, so 8th just kind of running our family.
3: Uh, I've I started to think I was psychic there for a minute. So now Ben can divine things in the future through the number eight.
1: And I told my wife as we were getting ready, I says, you know what? I think I'm going to win this. She says, well, if you win, can we go to Hawaii? So anyway, we get over there and they hand out these little tickets.
2: They have one of those big raffle drums.
1: With uh, 250 envelopes. Well, they drew number 405. And my, my number was 397, and they were going up. 397 from 405 just happens to be 8.
2: Mm, there it is. So they finally got to his number.
1: By then, most of the boxes were gone.
2: He goes up to the table and sees two groups of boxes left and one sitting on its own, and he thinks...
3: I think I'll take the orphan. I think it's funny that he called it the orphan. It seems like a very Ben thing to do.
2: Oh, and the numbers on the back of the box were significant too. The numbers on the back of the box that he took had 188
5: skyline. And
1: they had darkened the inside of those eights to keep track of that box. Mm,
2: mm. Clearly.
1: And uh, I opened my box and there was just a white piece of paper there. So I pushed a piece of paper away and there was a styrofoam check that says, you are the winner of $50,000.
5: And then all of a sudden Ben hollered, I got it, I got it. Woo-hoo!
1: <laughs> I Shook my head, told my wife to take pictures. <laughs> but that was that was a trip. That was a trip. And we did go to Hawaii.
3: So that whole thing with the luck of the eights seems kind of inexplicable in Ben and Yvonne's worldview, you know, free of divine influence.
2: Yeah, but I guess they have enough evidence to believe that there's something significant about it.
3: Well, that's true, I guess.
2: I did ask him if he thought there was maybe some scientific explanation or evidence for the lucky number eight. I doubt it. And I wanted to know what atheism meant to Ben, given his experience with luck and hearing about his upbringing. And he kind of outlined his whole logic.
1: Religion is, is a very sensitive thing. If religion was true, there'd only be one religion in the whole world. Religion is a matter of geography. If you were born in India of Hindu parents in a Hindu village, don't you think you'd be a Hindu? You get into a group, you don't want to argue with them, and you start thinking the same way they do. If God was... Why hasn't he come and... You know, made himself visible and said, hey, here I am, and this is what I want, and this is what I'll do. There's no evidence, so why do you believe in it?
3: I keep thinking about how Ben went from growing up surrounded by religion to being such an advocate for atheism that he pursued this license plate through this whole drawn-out lawsuit. Early on, he had no idea that atheism was even an option, right? It
1: didn't even occur to me. I mean, everybody
3: I knew was, was religious. They were very good people, and
1: I didn't see anything wrong with it.
2: I asked him later how he found community as an outspoken atheist in a region that is more populated by Christians.
1: Well, uh, I was working at the post office in 1993, and uh, there were several other of the employees there that were atheists, too. And then I found out that there was a group called the Cincinnati
3: Atheists. So he was still living in Cincinnati at the time.
2: Yep, and that's where he met Matt, who became a good friend of his.
3: So I grew up going to a Baptist church, and I know what that looks like, but what do people do at an atheist meetup?
2: Well, according to Matt, these were just kind of laid-back gatherings.
0: And where you get together and uh, meet people, it, that didn't
1: force you to say have to say anything or do anything. You didn't have to tell us your life
2: story. Ben told me there were a lot of different kinds of groups in this area that do different things, like some have public speakers or some do more advocacy work.
1: Ours was just basically a social group.
2: Matt told me that while Ben was in this group, he really started crusading against public displays of religion on government property.
1: He did. He noticed stuff like that very easily and always would catch it and bring it to people's attention. I was really surprised. God or Jesus or any of that is not mentioned in in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence.
2: So this is where I really started going down a rabbit hole, looking for evidence of this recently held notion that America is inherently this Christian nation And it's true, nowhere in our US Constitution do you see an invocation of God or Jesus. The only time anything like this is mentioned is in Article 7, where it says,
1: In the year of our Lord, uh, 1776, but that was just a common phrase, He really
3: knows his history.
1: Jefferson said it pretty clearly that uh, there was a wall of separation between church and state.
2: When Thomas Jefferson was president, he wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association that the wall of separation between church and state prohibited the state from establishing religion or restricting the free exercise of religion.
3: I've kind of wondered about this because you definitely see invocations of God in other government-issued materials. It's
1: just like in God we trust on money. Uh, It wasn't
3: on the bills until
1: 1957.
2: This is technically true, but it had been stamped on our two-cent coins back in 1864.
3: What? I didn't know any of that. We had two-cent coins?
2: (laughs) Imagine that.
1: It wasn't on the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, One Nation Under God, until 1954.
2: And one reason that was added, it is thought, was because the U.S. was entering the Cold War under Eisenhower. And this was an attempt to set the U.S. apart from communist nations by inserting Christian rhetoric into our documents. The irony in this little side story is the original author of the Pledge of Allegiance, Francis Bellamy, is thought by some to have been a socialist.
3: History always has these little nuances that surprise you the more you look.
2: So true. Anyway, that's the end of this history lesson. So all of that led Ben to advocating for the secular United States.
3: And some might say agitating.
1: There was a uh, nativity scene in Addison,
2: Ohio. He saw this nativity scene that was sitting in front of some government property and got a hold of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And they promptly wrote a letter to the mayor saying
1: that it was illegal. Well, the way they got around it was they added Santa Claus and snowmen and stuff like that. So it wasn't just religion. So that technically that was legal.
3: And there was another one, wasn't there?
1: I was up in Brookville, Indiana, and they had a big nativity scene there.
2: Yeah. And this one went even further. It went to
3: court and they took it down. Yikes. Going to court over a nativity scene seems like it might be a bit extreme to some of the people that I grew up around.
2: Yeah, it might be. But Ben sees this as important work because of what the alternative could be. If they get
1: away with a little one, then they'll get away with a big one, and then they'll get away with a bigger one, and it, it just
3: keeps on. I mean, I totally appreciate what he's talking about, and as kind of an agnostic, I can identify with this fear, but... It just seems maybe a little extreme to be attacking all of these gestures.
2: Maybe. Or maybe not. The more I think about this, the more I wonder how many Americans would be more comfortable walking around a town center or through government buildings without religious imagery around them.
1: The thing a lot of people don't seem to understand is about 25% of the country now are nuns. They don't belong to a church. They don't belong to a religion. They don't call themselves atheists.
3: Well, that would be me.
2: Really? Me too. Has that ever made you feel less American?
3: I mean, it doesn't really make me feel less American because I think everyone's entitled to their beliefs, but it does make me feel less connected to this huge part of the culture.
2: I've had that feeling as well. But not Ben. He sees himself as wholly American, perhaps more so because he's an atheist. He's just not subscribing to the same religious views as the majority.
1: Personally, I am an independent, patriotic American.
3: I'm starting to see why you said he may be one of the most patriotic people you know.
2: Yeah? There were so many nuances to his patriotism too, like the way he worked American imagery into this design he made for an atheist logo.
1: There were several uh, atheist designs, and none of them actually appealed to me.
2: I did a Google search for atheist logos, and most of them look pretty similar to each other. They use a capital A in the center, some incorporate the atomic symbol, some look weirdly like the Star Trek insignia. Cool. (laughs) But he wanted America in there.
1: I, I decided to make it American, red, white, and blue. I took the 13 stars from the Betsy Ross flag on the blue background, And then I took the atomic symbol for science, and then I put an A in the middle of that for atheist.
3: Definitely sounds patriotic. (laughs) Does he also have patriotic symbols on his car or around his license plate, since that's where so much of his battle has been fought?
2: I did ask him about that, and I'll show you some pictures he sent me. And we'll get into the crux of this story with the license plate crusade.
0: All that coming up after the break. Stay with us.
2: Okay, so when we left off, I just finished making the case for why Ben is such a patriot.
3: Yes, and now I want to know, if he's such a patriot, does he also have an American flag on his car?
2: Well, he sent me this picture.
3: Okay, it's a picture of his car parked in front of an American flag. Is this hanging on his house? Yeah. And he's got a sticker on there that says, Secular Vote, a sticker for the ACLU. And across the top of the rear window, it says, we the people.
2: The first three words in the preamble to the Constitution.
3: If I was behind this car at a traffic light, I'd definitely be thinking this person is a patriot and has a respect for the Constitution. Then there's that license plate.
1: I'd have the license plate I'm God in Ohio for 12 years. So when I moved to Kentucky, I applied for the same plate over here.
3: So in this picture, the license plate has "I am space G-O-D. And as an atheist, what was Ben's aim in calling himself as a deity?
1: Well, I thought it was a matter of getting people to, to enter into a conversation about it. And they could tell me how they felt, and I could tell them how I felt. It gave me a chance to explain my position. But nobody asked me anything. They just totally ignored it. It's very few people times have I had a comment on it.
2: But the few times he has had comments on it, they tend to just challenge him and say,
1: Well, you're not God. And I'll say, Well, I'll tell you what, I've got a hundred dollar bill I've been carrying for 20 years for the first person that can prove I'm not God. Now you go right ahead.
2: There was a story of a woman in Texas who challenged him.
1: Well, I can't prove it, but I know you're not God. Well, I'm not the God of the Bible. I'm the God of the dictionary. The American Heritage Dictionary has six definitions for God. And number five is a very handsome man. And my wife says I'm a very handsome man, and nobody argues with my wife.
5: Uh (laughs) Yeah, he tells everybody that story. And I still got the $100, so.
3: (laughs) So that explains his philosophy behind the plate. But the story really takes off once he comes back to his home state of Kentucky.
2: Right. And I just have to say, I think the fact that he and Yvonne moved to a town called Independence is a bit significant. Mm-hmm. Could you find a more fitting name for a town for Ben to move to?
3: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: So when I moved to Kentucky, I applied for the same plate over here. Well, they sent me a letter saying it was, uh, it was denied because it was obscene and vulgar.
2: Obscene and vulgar.
1: What? So I got a hold of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and they wrote him a letter. And they says, well, it's not obscene and vulgar, but it's distracting. There were some letters back and forth.
2: In one of these letters, when the state came back saying it wasn't actually obscene and vulgar, they said it was, quote, offensive to good taste and decency.
1: And finally, they got a hold of the ACLU in Louisville, and they decided they would take the case. November of uh, 2016, they filed a lawsuit in federal court.
2: Six months go by, and then...
1: The state filed for dismissal and the judge sat on it for a full year before he answered it and he said he wasn't going to dismiss it, it was going to go to trial and i was kind of worried about the judge
2: so this was a bit ironic you remember the moment ben chose to become an atheist right
3: yeah you couldn't believe that god drowned all the babies in the world in the story of noah's ark
2: this is the same judge
1: that okayed the ark
3: to get tax
1: benefits for the ark
3: so this is the ark encounter theme park that's uh, in northern kentucky that we're talking about right it seems kind of a weird coincidence I would also think that this judge, who would have okayed money for the Ark, might have an affinity for Christian leaning in government.
2: Right? So, the lawsuit is underway, and while this plate is in litigation, Ben's picture with his Ohio plate that says, I'm God, becomes famous.
1: The newspapers picked it up. The Washington Post called, and I gave them an interview. Fox News called, and I gave them an interview. Uh, when it was first filed, uh, the Louisville Courier-Journal called, and I gave them an interview. The Cincinnati Enquirer called, and I gave them an interview. And the BBC picked it up, and it went around the world.
3: So this conversation Ben's wanted to have about his plate, he's finally having it with the press.
2: I think he was definitely seeing his views on patriotism and religion play out with all the media attention.
1: I'm I'm just absolutely amazed that this thing
2: just took on a life of its own. But here's where the plot starts to thicken. I spoke to someone else named Karen Chadwell, who was inadvertently affected by Ben's lawsuit.
4: They sent me this letter.
2: She applied for the plate Jesus won in 2017, while Ben's lawsuit was sitting on the judge's desk. And she got the same letter in the mail that Ben did. Dear Miss Chadwell. Personalized plates are regulated
4: by the Kentucky Revised Division, KRS. The
2: letter listed a couple different requirements her request for the Jesus One license plate did not meet, and then said...
4: These laws dictate that a personalized plate may not be vulgar or obscene.
3: What?
2: Vulgar, obscene? What's wrong with these people? Yeah, she was totally surprised, as many probably would be. She also operates out of this assumption that we are inherently a Christian nation and couldn't believe a plate promoting this would be so contentious.
4: This country was founded on God. We even have it on our money. And how could they say that having a Jesus One plate is vulgar or obscene?
2: Ben knew about this rejection as well and found it just as appalling. That same license
1: plate, there's a lady in Ohio had Jesus One. I thought that was uh, really great, too. You know, it was very unusual, and, and uh, the state of Ohio gave it to her. There was no problem.
2: I asked Karen if she knew anyone else that had had their license plate rejected, any friends that also wanted faith-based plates.
4: The only person I knew it affected was a gentleman who wanted the I Am God plate. Mm-hmm. And, and I spoke to them about that when I called them. I said, we live in a free country.
3: Wow, so she called them up and defended them.
4: Yeah. And I said... Honestly, if I came up on his car and saw the I am God plate, I would pray for him because I know he isn't God. But I still believe that we live in a free country and he should have whatever plate he wants on there.
1: Well, the, the lady had that pray for plate. She backed me up, too. She thought I should have the plate.
2: There was another woman who was denied pray for around the same time. There was also a plate that a veteran applied for that got denied later in 2019.
1: Infidel. He was in Iran and the enemy called him infidels.
2: These vets took the label as a badge of honor. And Ben had seen another plate driving around that seemed like it would have been in the same classification as his I'm God. Me devil.
1: I'm God is not good, but me devil is all right.
3: Well, maybe it was the devil.
2: (laughs) And maybe Ben is God.
3: (laughs) So how did the state justify this?
2: I guess they thought Me Devil was not offensive to good taste and decency, like they wrote in their letter back to the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I did try to get someone from the committee that reviews vanity plates in Kentucky to talk to me about their process, but they declined my request.
3: Oh, that's too bad.
2: Yeah, they have got a lot of attention from the press already over this lawsuit. I think they're known now for denying the most famous license plate in the world. <laughs> But I did get someone from the Ohio Department of Transportation to explain their process to me, which I thought was great, because that's the actual license plate pictured in the famous photo.
0: My name is Charlie Norman, and I'm the State Registrar of Motor Vehicles for the state of Ohio.
2: So there's a single committee that reviews all the questionable requests that get submitted from around the state.
0: So that committee meets uh, each morning about 9 a.m. They just go over those names. They do some research online. And then they make a recommendation that comes up to the registrar's office on whether we should approve or or deny a plate.
2: They have a set of guidelines by which they adhere to.
0: We're allowed to turn down anything that's overtly profane, obscene, scatological, is likely to provoke a a violent response or promotes lawlessness.
2: And much of their guidelines are based on a lawsuit.
0: A a lawsuit against the state of Ohio over vanity plates uh, many years ago. Hmm, sounds
3: familiar.
2: Charlie said he wouldn't be surprised if many states' plate guidelines are generated out of a lawsuit. So they look at these set of guidelines in combination with insight and research that they do in some kind of unusual places. It
0: sounds crazy, but, um,
3: you know, they do research on Urban Dictionary. How do you get that job? I think I might be good
0: at it.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah? Are you good at reading Coded Indecency? Because (laughs) I was puzzling over many of the denied plates, and I couldn't come up with their meaning. Like... Like this one. What does I M N X 2 C mean?
3: That's so obvious. It is? I'm in ecstasy.
2: Okay, you are good at this. Or maybe I'm just really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the Kentucky Review Committee may be getting a bit extra creative imagining plates that could be inappropriate. Karen Chadwell told me about another plate request of hers that they held up that was Ride HD for Ride Harley-Davidson, because she's a motorcycle enthusiast. But they asked her...
4: We want to know why you you want to
2: ride Harry David.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I wonder if that is going a little bit too far.
2: It might be a little bit too far. <laughs> So the really funny thing about all this rejection the state was doing was that ultimately a lot of these rejections were happening because of Ben's lawsuit. What do you mean? Well, as soon as the lawsuit was sitting on the judge's desk at the end of 2016, the state started scrambling to recall all the plates around the state that seemed to promote religion. The pray for plate that Ben had mentioned earlier was recalled after his lawsuit was filed. And the state started denying requests for plates that seemed to promote religion, just like it did for Karen Chadwell.
3: That seems like an odd response.
2: Well, the reason they were doing this was because of a provision in the state law that says that vanity plates, quote, shall not have as its primary purpose the promotion of any specific faith, religion, or anti-religion, end quote.
3: What? But there were already so many plates that seemed to do that.
2: Well... It seemed that here the state may had been in clear violation of its own laws. And as for the judge...
1: The arc judge. And the judge said, you know, hey, you, you can't have love God and, and for God and, and pray for and all that other stuff and then disallow the I'm God. I won the case and, um, and then it just kind of kept growing.
3: So what about this Kentucky statute that keeps plates from promoting religion?
2: Well, apparently the statute was supposed to be removed. It was supposed to happen earlier this year, but due to COVID, things got delayed.
3: Wow. So Ben's lawsuit is actually kind of opening the door for religious people to express their faith on their license plates.
2: Yes. And I think it's amazing the way this all worked out. It's almost ingenious when you think about it. Ben chose to use this space that is protected by free speech, the license plate, to express his anti-religious independence. But this is also a free speech space that must be issued by the government. So he's essentially forced the state of Kentucky to acknowledge his First Amendment rights as an atheist while simultaneously giving his religious countrymen back their right to this particular freedom of speech.
3: Well, hallelujah.
2: (laughs) So despite the way Ben might seem as an agitator for some of his efforts, I can really say I agree with him.
1: I'm the knight in shining armor. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have much <laughs> armor, but I, but, I, but I'm uh, I'm I'm doing what I think is is the correct and right thing to do.
3: Defender of the First Amendment.
1: <laughs> That's the most sacred thing that it was ever written. I still have my Ohio plate on front. That's the most famous plate in the world. My Kentucky plate is the most expensive plate in the country.
2: So I'm pretty sure this legal win has been the apex of Ben's atheistic career. Amber Duke, the communications director at the ACLU, said they are so thankful for people like Ben who are willing to tough it out for the First Amendment. And he's winning an award.
3: Oh yeah, you hinted at that at the top of the episode. What is it? Uh, free thinker of the Year.
2: It's coming from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. He's recorded an acceptance speech, which we'll have a link to on our website. And he got this beautiful little plaque.
3: Oh, that's wonderful.
2: And now I think he's really focusing on his health, his 82-year-old heart, and spending time with his family. He and his wife have such a wonderful relationship, and he made these necklaces for both of them to wear that display his atheist logo.
1: My wife and I uh, both uh, have a necklace with it, that I, I had it printed out on uh, aluminum plates.
3: Oh, that's sweet. They have such a traditional relationship for being a little bit non-traditional in other ways.
2: That's very true. They've had a good life together, and they have a lot to be proud of.
3: We
5: think so, too. We're very, very lucky uh, for two smart asses, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> got married. And everybody said, oh, it's not going to work, and we proved to them that we did. 63 years, and we will be, 64? Mm-hmm. I'll be 64 in November.
0: That's the episode I'm God from Middle of Everywhere. If you like that story, you can check them out by going to middleofeverywherepod.org or listen wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, this is some cinematic music right here, y'all. This is like the smoke is rising from the battlefield while Mel Gibson is like reloading his musket or something. If you're not a supporter of us on Patreon yet, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash neighbors. There you can join our kind, intelligent, and thoughtful community, as well as get a few extra things. Sonic logos from Dallas Taylor and DeFacto Sound. Check out his podcast, 20,000 Hertz. Neighbors is hosted and produced by me. Leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts so we can see just how patriotic you are. I'm Jacob Lewis, and I'm reminding you to get to know your neighbors. a production of Great Feeling Studios.